The Dode Fox Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Dode Fox Podcast. I'm Ronnie, he's Paul, and it's another Saturday without football, but for a very, very good reason this weekend. And what a week as a United fan. The frustrations of last weekend, the ecstasy of Thursday night, and the European hangover of today. Join the conversation on our socials. We're at Dode Fox Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode... Alkmaar and Livy review, second leg thoughts, McGrath signs on, players leaving, loan report, community trust, DUSF, on this day with the Arab Archive, and Christian Calvinez is our special guest. It's all coming up on episode 154 of the Dode Fox podcast. The Dode Fox podcast is brought to you in association with Connect Radio, a brand new online radio station for Dundee, featuring me, Ronnie Costello, and my big breakfast. Although just for two days this week, because I've got to get to Amsterdam. You can listen online at connectradiohq.com, download the Connect Radio app for Apple and Android, and you can ask your smart speaker to play Connect Radio Dundee, but if you're listening on Alexa, just enable the skill. Hi, this is Morris Malpas, and you're listening to the Dode Fox Podcast. So welcome back to the award-winning Dode Fox Podcast with the sick note Paul McNichol. And the headed for Amsterdam, still horse for Thursday, Ronnie Costello. <laughs> How we doing, sir? Um, see if you'd asked me that after the game on Thursday, I'd give you a different answer to what I'm giving you right now. Um, yeah, three three days a long time in football. Unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> the highs, the lows, everything that goes with it. But my word, how good it was to be back in European competition on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about it was just class. And I know people get really, really hyped up about things. And rightfully so, because we all love our team. But the amount of people that ask, oh, we need an emergency podcast. I was like, I could barely speak at kickoff, let alone after the game. So we uh, speak the next day, Rondo. It was uh yeah, incredible. And we have to start there because the more we can speak about that and the less we can speak about the day, the better. But just uh <laughs> I mean mine's just different. So I I'll I'll give you my build up to the game. So I at eight o'clock kickoff, so I was in there just after six o'clock, just to get in nice and early you knew it was gonna be busy, gets myself in, sorts out some of my notes. No, that's rehearsed or anything, but you know, somebody's like to know what I'm saying. You know, we've got various timing things we need to hit and all this kind of stuff. Quite fine, quite chilled, quite relaxed. And that was kind of it. We got the tunes on, we enjoyed ourselves, and that was kind of my build up. And then I got a couple of songs before, you know, the teams come out and everything. And that was mine. You know, it was nice and it was great. It was nice to be part of. And I'll speak more about it when we get to the whole overall night and everything. I'm guessing your build-up to the match was a wee bit more exciting than mine. It was. Yeah, absolutely it was, Rondo. Uh, I headed for the Heggy at five o'clock because I couldn't wait. If I, if I could have got there any earlier, I would have. And uh, we were promptly tell there's no beer or the, t- or the taps are not working or something and there's no cared machine. So uh, <laughs> we were basically left with the dilemma of do we stay here? And just blether amongst ourselves, no hey anything to drink, or they were head. So we're headed. And it was uh, Club E83 was the destination. So it was absolutely chock a block up there. Uh, because I'm no a member of that that fine establishment, I was punted up the stair with uh, the other non-members. The riffraff. 
the rough rough of of the city and uh, the, the nearby areas. But it was it was great. Got speaking a good few fans. Uh, one in particular, Craig up in Forfar, uh, and it was just great. That's a like, funny something. Craig up in up in Forfar. It's it's unusual, but it's you know it's, it is what it is. Uh, let's not judge. And uh, Abdi was obviously just excited about what we were going to be doing. People were excited about me and up outside the snug for the big march or whatever you want to call. Was it a cortio? Call away, like. Call it well. I'm going to call it a march. Uh, so uh, we were looking forward to that. The wee man was buzzing for that. Abdi was excited about it. Even the old man, he, he was on the, the Strongbow side. He was looking forward to marching down the, down the street as well. So And and going to keep his plays on. So it was uh, oh, excitement. Excitement was tangible early doors, Rondo. And then we headed to the snug. Probably got there quite sharp, maybe about 10 past seven, I think. And uh, it was to leave about 7.25. Now, if I'm being honest, I didn't expect the numbers that were there to be the numbers that were going to be there. I thought maybe it'd be 100 or 200 or something. It seemed like there was thousands. <laughs> now, again, there couldn't have been thousands, but it just seemed like there was a mass. It was a sea of bodies walking down that street. Uh, and <laughs> the, the, the ban on pyro for inside the ground clearly... People listened to it, but they obviously thought, well, I'm still tucking my pyro out of the gam and I'm going to use it walking down that street. Uh, so I had, I had a lung full of smoke, orange smoke. Uh, so that, that was not the most pleasant experience. But the whole the whole thing, the whole occasion, it was the first time I've been a part of anything like that. And it was just, it was a perfect, a perfect way to get myself to the ground. Because normally you just walk down, you speak about the gam, what you're expecting, but that, that just took on uh, something else and it was absolutely brilliant. And because we got bit the day, I think it's because we didn't do that. So I'm proposing to the city council right now that we do this every home game because it brought the luck. I loved seeing the photos of the march and there's a really good photo that's a wee bit further back and everyone's just enjoying the moment. And then I couldn't help but notice a six foot five boy with a white track he top with his phone out. Okay, I'm thinking yes. all that's wrong in the world in one picture there. I, I wanted to capture it, Rondo. I wanted to capture it. And it's a nine-minute video that I captured. Oh, jeez. It was class. Now, nah, it was absolutely class. Yeah, it was... It looked amazing. It was, I don't know. It was the, the display guys that organised it all. Right, so I think even in their wildest dreams, they, they probably didn't think it was going to go as well as it did. And fair play to the authorities as well. Like the polis, the kind of... There was no issues. There was there was horses, which I don't I think we need polis horses. No, I don't think so. Either. That's that's no one Alkmaar's bring a hundred fans. I don't think there's any need for that. But they were there anyway and they were they were making sure Abdi was fine and it was just marching straight down and then straight back up to Tanadice. It was just it was just great. It was great to be a part of. As you say, there's been some great photos. There's been I saw a drone footage uh, shot of it as well. It just looks amazing. It looks absolutely amazing. And uh, that was just the start of what was to be an absolutely uh, a special night. So that's the only way I could I could describe it. It was a really special night. What did you make of the uh, the build up inside the ground? Well, the music was shite as always, but uh, <laughs> no, no, music was uh, top notch as always, Rondo. And uh, the display team again knocking out of the park. Uh, that's the only way that I can describe it. Like I always miss usually they miss at the time like with sitting in Eddie Thompson I never really know what the hell we're displaying 
but I was able to cut through the flags and see that it was a headless Davinieri and a headless uh, Barcelona player. And it just looked absolutely tremendous. Like, whoever thinks of these things and puts that in a reality, it's absolutely brilliant. Can't thank the boys enough. It, it just helps generate such an atmosphere. And that was, that was one of the best atmosphere, if not the best atmosphere that I've ever heard at Tannadice. The George Fox was right behind the team the hell gammon on. I'm no I'm no slating anybody that sits there far from it, but that's traditionally are. not at all. Not at all, but that's traditionally It's a bit quieter usually, but more reserved. Correct. Correct. That's that's what I'm getting at. And uh everybody, man, woman, child that was in the shed, that's some of the footage that I've seen for there as well. It looks like a it looks like a foreign game for a, a for a country where boys are just absolutely mad for their football, the, the jumping up and doing, the singing, the dancing, the swaying. It, it was just, it was just amazing to be a part of Rondo. It really was. To be absolutely fair, absolutely brilliant. I think Trapdoor had his tap off at one point. It was that incredible. Uh, I mean. Good lord! <laughs> uh, but it, it was, it was, it was a brilliant thing. I mean, I, I put it in a tweet. I think it was the day after that. As a employee or as a worker or whatever you want to call it that's the best atmosphere I've ever been involved in like as, as a fan the playoff 96 still is still mad like that's still up there it's, it's, it's an incredible time but that was just unbelievable like, I've said it loads of times when we've been asked I've always brought up the Inverness game because that's always been quite cool but that was something else on Thursday everything about it you know just the fans the noise um, from all three and a bit sides of the ground, I suppose, is what we're trying to say. Um, and then obviously, because that wasn't good enough, you know, what the display team wasn't good enough. Like, like we're saying that was the hen of level. We'll keep throwing it at you. Here's Brian Welsh on the park. But hold on, I'll give you the chairman and ah. Wait a minute, fancy another in. You've bought two. Hey, the third for free. Here's some boy called Dave Neary. Bosh, the greatest of all time. Stop yeah. shopping in Tesco's for renewal. Come to Tanadice. Unreal. Un unbelievable, Rondo. Uh, there was there was people greeting. <laughs> there was genuinely people greeting at seeing him. Uh, it was quite emotional, I think, because people can. He doesn't really. He doesn't really seek the limelight in any way, shape, or form. Never has. Never will. Uh, so I don't can how they managed to to get him to agree to come out on the pitch and get that award that actually looked like there was no award because it was a a glass thing. But that's by the by. But it was it was amazing to see Davy Neri on the park. And as good as the team played on the night, he was still the best man on the park on the night. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I mean, that's an amazing thing. You know, uh, I didn't see him play much. You know, because I'm just a young thing, me. But, Age. you know, the fact that he made it on the park meant my mission to kidnap him, put him in my boot, didn't happen. You know, so that's how he's known on this episode. Yeah, you know? yeah, there was, there was, like, we did get window, the fact that he was going to come on it, and we, we did try to scupper the plans for Ardy, uh, rather selfishly, so that we could speak to him for an hour, an hour and a half or whatever, but... Uh, didn't it come to fruition but the first all... ever Dode Fox podcast interrogation episode yes you know? yes that's what it would have to be it would have to be a kidnap situation uh, but I mean that that must have 
you know, whetted the appetite of what was ahead. Amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Like that. Know that the atmosphere needed any more building up, but that that certainly that helped. Like I took it for for a 10, 10, 11, <laughs> if you will. Davy Murray, what an absolute footballing god he is in this city. 10, 10, 11. Uh, team news was Middleton was in for uh, Kujo, Freeman was in for McMahon. Mm. How were the nerves leading up to that? Can I, how do you feel? Was it excitement? Was it pure excitement? No nerves, Rondo, honestly. Uh, I was just excited about it. The, the, the Freeman in for McMahon was a bit of a shock, but then obviously word got around that McMahon, I think he'd failed a fitness test in the lead up to the game. Uh, so it wasn't like he was dropped. But uh, uh, there was no nerves at all. Because in my opinion, we, nobody expected us to do anything. You know, it was it was this team, we a far bigger budget than us, uh, a, a better recent European pedigree than us coming to play this wee hammer-throwing long ball giant team. And I, I just felt like nobody gave us a chance, but I, I thought we had a chance. I thought we had half a chance. And uh, it, it turned out that, that, that we did have half a chance, you know. Dreams come true, Rondo. Uh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And it was going to be one of those games that you didn't actually know what to expect. You're thinking, well, they're a Dutch team. They're going to be pretty good. And they are, they are a lot of the ball at times, but... Did never... you think after 90 seconds in that we were even going to sniff the bar? Never mind, beat them. <laughs> because they just kept the bar for that first 90 seconds. And I thought, oof, this team are really comfortable in possession of football here. It's going to be a problem. I think it's one of them. I mean, the the actual experts that are uh, that are well in. I mean, we we explained last week that you know there's uh, there there's reasons that certain people like Jack Ross are the manager, and it's us, you know, because of the decisions we're looking like we're making. But I never ever felt that. I never ever felt sort of worried. Um, I thought that we probably needed to get to half time no conceding at least, you know, given the way the first half went. And then to have a half a chance, we needed to either win the game or no lose the game. And certainly yeah. didn't lose it by two or three because no. I am going to Amsterdam for then this week is to swim in a canal because I certainly <laughs> wouldn't be going for the football, you know? Um, so there's, there is that. I didn't really take pay any attention to who was in the next round or anything like that. I actually, at that point, don't think I even knew I don't think I really paid total attention. I knew it was like Portugal or Latvia, but I didn't know the teams because it was like, this is this is still massive. Like, we still need to do this. And yeah. then I quite, I, I mean, I'm all for like, you know, Europe and, you know, teams, you know, they do the pendant and everyone's pals and we're dead friendly with everyone. And then when the whistle goes, we'll be enemies. But I like how our keeper being Australian so laid back, he thought, I'll just give them the bar a couple of times just to uh, see what yeah. they're made of. That was uh, well. You texted me, did you? You texted me and said you, you look like you're losing your shit or something. Oh, uh, you were you were no. gone, like you were raging at something. I, I was halfway down the stairs shouting at Mister Derigate uh, if he could maybe just find a tangerine shirt when he's kicking the boat because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, that was a close call, and then about two minutes later, he was dashing out to the corner flag to deal with. I can't remember if it was a pass back or a, a long through ball or something, but that was that was my only real cause for for panic on the on the night because for the rest of the night I thought to a man United were absolutely brilliant whatever the game plan was it must have been carried out to the letter uh, because they're like I've said already they are a good team 
They did not overly trouble us. That might change on Thursday night. But we fully merited our win on the night. We an almost complete team performance. We were good at the back. We were workhorses and creative in midfield. And up front, Stephen Fletcher was outstanding. Uh, middle in, you know, he's only been in the door a few days, maybe a week at missed by the time that game came around. I mean, the signs, the signs moving forward are very, very promising. But on Thursday night, it was, it was absolutely exceptional for the team. How were you at halftime going in at no no? Quite happy, quite reserved, quite thinking. Just need a wee bit, a wee bit more oomph, maybe. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely happy, definitely happy. Uh, and you could see that. Well, I personally thought that we're going to get, we're going to get a couple of chances here. I feared that they might get some some chances uh, but I thought if we can if we can get a chance and take it in football you just never know especially with the and I know there's only what was it ten and a half thousand at the game and I know it might sound silly to say that that could make such a difference when teams like Alkmaar probably go Eindhoven and Ajax and there's 50, 60,000 on, on their back but like it's it's quite compact Tanadish the players or the fans are right on top of the players <clears throat> and even though that the atmosphere may not actually put off the opposition players I feel that the atmosphere can lift your own players yeah. uh, and I think that's I think that absolutely is what happened on Thursday night like the atmosphere was just incredible again it's like it's a throwaway comment when people say ah oh, the fans can be the 12th man I, I think on Thursday night they genuinely were the 12th man and uh, yeah but but again to half time no hands up I felt we've we've still got a great chance here to take something really positive we were at Holland. Talk to us about the goal. The goal. Well, uh, you could talk to me, or we could we could just say what Jordi Klasa said. He just said it was Fire just on. a long ball, just a long ball up the park, basically aimless. Uh, they outmuscled us. Horseshit. It was a quick release for the goalkeeper. Something no seen at Tanadice in the last four years, and it was quickly released to Dylan Levitt. Was then sprayed a fifty or sixty yard pass pinpoint accurate onto the, the left foot of Middleton who's then promptly skinned two of their players played it forward got a one-two wee McGrath and curled it in the bottom corner it's better than last season's goal of the season in the same goal already and it was the only the first goal at Tanadice it was just sensational and the noise after that goal Rondo that's the loudest I've ever heard Tanadice and I was there when we beat Arbroath 2-1 Oh, it's taps half an hour and those boys just... <laughs> it, was, it was... Honestly, it was it was amazing. Like, I, I went, I lost my mind. I turned around, the wee man's going berserk, old man's going berserk. It was just carnage in the best possible way. Absolute mayhem in the stands all around the stadium. What do you do in a moment like that, Lorondo? I always wonder, because it's such a big occasion, but you've got to be professional. You must hate to be right, okay, I hate to push this button. Do you allow yourself two or three seconds to go absolutely berserk? So, at Thursday was a wee bit different uh, in that, obviously, uh, I said this, we, we, so if people, people are watching BBC the other day, two of us ended up on there as super fans, apparently, talking about the game. And I said something there that uh, I was going to mention the day anyway, and that, you think you're 
professional and you've got this, but sometimes the fan just takes over. And that's kind of what happened on Thursday. Now, the thing I said was, right before this happened, the goal happened, I was saying, I'd probably have my ground for my dollar in a boot now. Again, why we're not the manager of this team, right? So then I see, I, at the time, the, the quick rollout by the goalie, I didn't really take in, but I knew Levitt played the ball. Middleton takes it with his weak foot, his right foot, slaloms between two of them. Greatly won two with McGrath, and then the left bender in. And uh, it was just pure relief. Like, it was pure relief because it, it's hard to explain on, a, on an audio podcast, but it was just that feeling of sort of crouched over slightly, the punch in the air, sort of screaming and thinking, Shinny, press a button here, you know. But, but, <laughs> but with the noise, you wouldn't hear the music anyway. Like, you generally wouldn't, and that's not an excuse. You, you wouldn't hear it because yeah. the noise is going that much anyway. So that's why it's a wee bit later when, when it plays. But, um, and, and this is maybe, it's not a, I don't know the right phrase, but it's not a a balmy thing, but it's quite cool when you see highlights back and you hear, I get to hear it getting announced because that gives me more of an idea of how it sounds at the time. And I don't know what dodgy feed we were using, but you couldn't hear nothing on it, right? So, because I, I thought, when Middleton scored, I'm pretty sure I gave it hell for leather and my voice was already gone. It's still still the day, but I think pretty much it was gone before the game, shouting on Dave Neri and, you know, trying to get the, everyone hyped <laughs> up and whatever. But when that and I'm, we waited and waited and waited, Middleton's like he's gave it the stopped. He's he's, he's uh he, well, I better rephrase what I was just saying now. He's he's punched the air and the Correct. the direction to his his family and everything. And then I think I said goal scorer bloody well number fifteen Glenn Middleton, and I, I think I, I gave everything because it was a massive moment. I didn't get to hear a back was a bit annoying, but that was just like pure relief. Like it was pure relief of the. Mm. Uh, but again. We've seen this movie before. Like, it's only 1-0. You know, I didn't yeah. know what was going on, but even after that, I didn't really... I wasn't overly worried. And then, right at the death, Bergitti has a really good save, really strong mm -hmm. rest, palms it really well out. And I was thinking, this is your night. Like, this is your night. And listen, on the back of it, um, I, mean, I mean, one thing, I, I saw a tweet about this today, actually. Or maybe it was yesterday. But somebody said, I, I, so little's been made about Dundee United beating AZ Altmar. Like, that's a massive thing. Like, that's a massive result. But it's never been picked up. It's no... Is it because it's no an Ajax or Vienerd or whatever? But this is like a, a Dutch football team, top five, always there or thereabouts, who are selling boys for like 13 million and everything. Like, it's different worlds here. Like, in yeah. no credit. And again, we've all got... Well, I say pals, right? They used to be pals and uh, of other teams. And they would say... And, but, and the only feedback I would get is, yeah, I didn't think Almar was that, were that good. It's like, hold on here. C can, is it that hard to give credit to a team that have worked their absolute bollocks off for yeah. 90 plus minutes? You know, finally a referee that sees Tony Watt getting fouled every two seconds. You know. Um, you know, but just mm. everything about it, like the, the, what, everything put into the game. Like the blood, the sweat, the tears, and all that, all the other cliches. But it was, it was just unreal. It was unbelievable, and it, it felt like a really long night. But again, I was in there really early, and if, well, as I've already told you, I was there very late on, because our pal Mister Dylan was regaling me of tales 
and <laughs> you know, and it just felt it was such a relief. And seeing the goal go in, it's kind of like kind of my own wee bubble at the time because I'm 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 not in with my pals. I'm I'm there. You're trying to work, and these are they're the only moments I go. Man, that'd be pretty special. But it's pretty special in the sense that, that you then get announced the goal scorer and stuff like that and get to announce that yeah. you'd be part of that and and just to watch it. And as the half went on, the one thought I had, I was like, I think the goalie probably should have saved that. And then I looked at Bat and I was like, nah, he should never have saved that. <laughs> I actually thought the same today, but we'll not get to, I've not seen a back yet to to make my mind up on that end. But just just an incredible night. Just like an incredible, incredible night. And I mean, it was, I was knackered. Like I know boys yeah. have been saying they're aching, like because they've been levitating downstairs and started in row P and ended up in row A. Like I get that. <laughs> I was jelly. I was drained. Like my voice was done. Like my voice was done. Uh, and that was a, that was a struggle. But I was, the next day I was so, I was so fatigued. Like I was so yeah. Like you say you were tired after that walk. I don't think so. I was tired on Friday, right? Uh, <laughs> I was just done in, but it was such, so worth it. So, so uh, worth it. Because, listen, if we'd have got three or four, right, against what? Brutal. That's really been brutal this week. And even take the day away, and we can moan about the day, and we will moan about the day, but we are still going into that on Thursday. Half time, a goal up. Yeah, I would take that over anything right now, apart yeah, from being through and it was only one game. But I would generally take that. And the relief and the excitement and the just sheer joy at the full time whistle was unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. Oh, it, it really was, Rondo. It was a, a special night. Uh, I was glad that, that I was there, obviously. I was glad that the stadium was almost full of United fans. I got to share the moment with a wee man, my dad, although I've shared many. European moments with the old man just know for a while uh, and it took a while uh, to actually to come down like, I was knackered after the game as well because you're so emotionally invested no together in just add that right now correct correct uh, but you're so you're so invested in the game uh, and it was something that people have been invested in for weeks so Thursday night was just like the, the tip of the iceberg and Obviously, you, maybe no for you. You've still got the tip of the iceberg this coming Thursday. So it was just, it was just amazing. People were buzzing for days. You know, they were still, obviously, we're still speaking about it when you're bumping into the people that you sit beside at the games. Uh, when we're all, when we're rocked up to Tanadice today, people still going on about it, saying it was the best night they've had for years and years at Tanadice, which it was. Uh, and that's not taking any shine away from like the glory days, because there's so many people that had that haven't experienced the glory days or the 80s and other European nights that we've had. So that was the first time for a lot of people. And it was also the first time for a few of the players. Yeah, I could imagine a few of the players running out today thinking, wait a minute, where's Abdi went? That stand behind the goal was full the other night and nobody bothered their arse today. Uh, it, was, it was just a special, special night. And it was one that, I wish that we could relive over and over again because it, it meant the world to me and to so many others. For for you, 
uh, obviously because you could you could renew your season ticket or whatever uh, for that game. Did you have any sort of new faces around you during the game or anything like that on Thursday, or were you? Is it pretty standard? Where no, you are? there was a, there was a few a few guys that I didn't recognise, but I mean it's as well as it was. I mean it was also the the first. Like the first league game of the season was the day, so there was still a few new faces. So whether or not that these guys have got season tickets and that's now their sets, I'm not sure. But uh, there was there was a few familiar faces, a few different faces, but like we're all Arabs at the end of the day, so it's all good. Were you uh, were you gutted when you seen the scenes that you were in the shed? Nah, nah, nah I was too old for that. That's young team, is that it's young team now? It's probably young team, and I don't think my back could hud up. Oh, uh, so yeah. no, but like where I am, I, I, like I'm I'm lucky because I'm looking right at the shed, so I can see how chaotic it looks, uh, and it, it does look absolutely spectacular. Like there's, there was no no doubt about that. It was just it was just monumental. It really, it really was. I kind of we'll be speaking about this game and that atmosphere for a long time. I think unless we top it on Thursday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man of the match for Thursday? I'll no count towards our records, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, like after the game, when I went him, took the dogs out with the wee man, and after every game, Leo will always say, like, who do you think man of the match was today? And I know at the game it was given uh, to Stephen Fletcher. I think I think you told me BBC gave it to Tony Watt. Like I said to Leo, you could have given it to anybody today. Mm. You, you really could have. There wasn't any failures in the team. Everybody to a man was excellent. So I would probably give it to Levitt just because he's the Welsh wizard. But perfect. They're, they're genuinely, wasn't it? If you were to say any name, I wouldn't I wouldn't complain about it at all. Okay. Right. On to today then. Mm. Livingston in town. We'd won before kickoff. We'd won one in six against them since we'd come back up. Yeah, uh, very much the uh, jobby they want to flush, uh, but they changed all that. And now they're just the uh, pain in the arse you kind of get rid of, pretty much. Yeah, they're they're uh, the footballing sciatica. That's mm. what they are. Nightmare. Probably one of the worst opponents that we could have had today. And people might listen and think, "Hey, it's Livingston." Yeah, I get that, but there was always going to be a massive come down for everyone, like for players for fans going for such a massive high of Thursday which a lot of people are saying is the best atmosphere they've ever been at Saturday so when you go for that to Livingston at him it's very very hard to get yourself like back up for it now I understand that players are professional and, and they should but they're also humans <laughs> so that's just the way it's just the way these things work when you look at when you look at teams that are in Europe uh, historically especially teams like United that didn't have massive playing staffs and, and budgets like when they're in Europe the next league game is about a struggle it doesn't seem a matter who you're up against it's it's always about a struggle and then if you if you throw in the fact that we're up against Livingston a team that it's very hard to actually have a, an enjoyable game of football against they're just experts at spoiling games and they manage to and, it, and, you, and it's credit to them but they always seem to manage to drag you down to their level or impose their game in the match more than you can impose yours. And couple that with the fact that we played absolutely crap. And that that can't be that can't be taken away. Like as good as we were Thursday, we were absolutely loping today, I thought. There were so many people that were way below their best. 
there's, there's not even any point singling boys out, but there was just a lot of poor performances today. Now, is that because they've got one eye on Thursday coming, or is that because like it was just such a, a drop off in atmosphere and, and everything basically from from the previous game? Who knows? But if I'm being honest, Rondo, it wasn't a surprise. Yeah, it was very, very uh, first hour, very, very flat, very flat, frustrating as well to watch. You know, um, it was like some like last season stuff, just centre half to centre half to full back to goalie. Yeah, how many times did we pass the bar backwards today? Which is really again, it's not something we've done. You know, I don't know why it's all of a sudden happened. You know, but very, very flat for a for long periods of day. And frustrating as well. And the weird thing was, I actually never felt we were overly troubled. Like neither team uh, they were overly troubling. I didn't think. I didn't think either goalie had a hard time with it. Even even across the ninety minutes, I didn't think either goalie had a a tough time with it. But it's such a frustrating team to play. So yeah. so frustrating. And listen, they, they were unlucky last week. You know, in their yeah, game. And yeah, yeah. Their name mugs. Their name. Their. <laughs> They're just a horrible team to play against. They're no mugs. There's no superstars in that team. Their manager's got the daftest voice in the world. But somehow, some way, he manages to shape them into like a decent top flight outfit. It's, they're just no many, no many teams will hump Livingston. Put it that way. And it's it's disappointing because it's a game that I personally feel that we should be winning. We should be beating Livingston, especially at home. There's no excuse about, oh, well, we got a bit through there, but it was that shite pitch. It wasn't that shite pitch today. It was Tanadice. It was the start of the season. The pitch is looking at immaculate. Carpet. So that we did a carpet, exactly. So we didn't hate it. There's no excuses. We, we, we just weren't good enough today. Uh, we were miles away from it. And uh, I think you were, I think you mentioned when we were speaking about the, the Alkmaar game that you weren't sure. You thought the keeper maybe should have got it. And then you, you thought that again today. I would need to see a bat today. I've not seen so, it. So would I. So would I. But I don't think it goes in the corner. I'll say that. I don't think that goal goes right in the corner. So whether or not he was unsighted or he was maybe wrong-footed because he was running one way and the boys put it back, like you, I'd hate to see it again. But the the first thing I thought when it went in, that's not right in the corner. Well, Davey Funny Voice apparently predicted that uh, Montano would be the match winner. He said that at half-time you're going to win the game for him. I actually think the boy Montano's a bit of an arsehole. There you go. Yes, yeah, yeah. He he uh, he purposely smacked Cujo in the pus when they fell oh, on the on the sideline, and Liam Smith was right in his face about it, rightly mm-hmm. so. And then, like, if, I mean, if we're speaking about Arsenal's, uh, Jason Holt was right over him, and uh, he's a boy that you wouldn't have stopped kicking. No, uh, but that, but again, that's all part of it, isn't it? Yeah. All part of it. They just shite house tactics for them. It works, Rondo. It gets it's it's successful for them, so they're going to keep doing it, and it's it's on us. Again, that their keeper was time wasting again all game, and it's, it's just the way it is. Like, if we're going to allow ourselves to go a goal behind in these matches, which we've done so very often, well, you can't complain about time wasting. Like, then allow yourself to go a goal back. Mm. Uh, yeah, we we are ken that the refs don't bother the refs to book people until it's too late. It's 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 borderline pointless when you get to the 88th minute and then the ref thinks, oh, I better go and book the keeper. Well, why? They're not going to give him a second to again. And he's, there's only two minutes left. He's not going to speed up any. He should have done this 80 minutes ago when he started posting about day and all this. But 
that's probably led on to speaking about the ref. Well, I was absolutely loping again. You really, he's 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 terrible. There was there was things the day that yeah, you just shake your head. You know, you, you you just can't believe that you're looking at the same incident as the boy in black with the whistle, and you're just seeing it come. You're seeing the opposite. But that's that's what was happening a lot of times a day. It was just it's, it's, it's horrendous. Like the yeah. refereeing start to finish terrible today. Everything about it. Yeah. Best thing yeah. he done was the minutes applause. It's the best thing yeah. he done with his whistle today. Started and ended that. And he probably got that wrong. Probably only fifty eight seconds. Just hopeless. But everything about it. So many really poor decisions and like we've said it loads of times. Seeks are so inconsistently consistent or consistently inconsistent, whatever you want. Be shite for both teams. Then I pick and yeah. choose. Just be shite for both teams because some of the bookings he dished out, I'm thinking, wait a minute. So you've booked somebody now for that, but you wouldn't have become, booked somebody in the first half for the same thing or just, it was just shite, eh? I hate yeah. going on, I hate when it comes to referees, but every single week we have always got something to mention. Regardless if you win or lose, there's always something. Boy, the boy in midweek was good. Aye. The, the the European ref, I thought he was... But there's there's nothing I could think where he's, he's got that wrong. Maybe, did he book Fletcher? He booked Fletcher, eh? Right. But I've not, I've not seen that back. But I felt at the time that was a wee bit harsh, but I think they are a wee bit stricter on the continent when it comes to... like the, If the ref thinks he's elbowed him, then uh, fair enough, it probably is a booking. But in general, the refereeing between Thursday and the day night and day <laughs> like the boy was really good on Thursday and McLean the day both and I mean he he makes me want want us to sign Brian McLean again just so that we didn't have to put up with that nonsense it's so so bad but that but l- l- don't misunderstand me here I'm not saying the referee cost us United were stinking the day but the referee didn't help the game at all in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, real frustrating as well. When we, we had that much of the ball, but we done very little. Listen, we got balls in the box. We tried to make, do things, but again, at times it just felt like lads just put our foot through it and just see what happens. And that's what Kujo done a couple of times when he come on. I actually thought his second name was in. I thought that he was in, and I, I thought wasn't the keeper was saved far away. But uh, wasn't but, far away. But again, there's there's another thing the day that we went a goal down, and I'm pretty sure within about. Two minutes, changes happen mm-hmm. right away. He puts two wingers on, looked like he went down four four two, and you know. And I just thought, come on, well, at least that's a bit of a positive reaction to things. Like it's yeah. no, we're three 0 up. Let's rest some players. Let's you no, know, hold on here. We've just went one hundred. Like we need to bag in this. I think the goal went in forty nine, and the subs were made on fifty two. So you go three minutes later, there was a double change. Yeah, yeah, and Kujo was good when he came on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fairness, like there wasn't many. Listen, there's going to be games from. I don't think Thursday night was a game from. I gen- no. I still don't think there's even this Thursday's a game from. Maybe later on, but mm-hmm. see, like the day, like Kilmarnock, they found it, found it out pretty early and they really bullied them. But see, the day in that half hour, it showed what he could do, and you'll yep. hate games like that. And maybe it needs to be. <sighs> I didn't mean it sound like this, but you'll care what I mean. But see the teams the shitey weird teams that you could go and hear go at like they, they can go on like do you play them against some of the, the air streaks initially we don't know 
But again, he'll develop. The more minutes he gets this season, he'll develop and develop and develop and develop. I'm not screaming at him play every week because I don't, I don't think it's possible that he could produce every single week because we've no. seen it last week. It just it was a frustrating, it didn't go for him. But the day yeah. in that half an hour, he was really, really good today. And he got no, man he, of the match for the sponsors. You know well, what I mean? That, that tells you Alan, about the first hour of the game, though, doesn't mm. it? Like, there, It really was a non-event to your point of view. But I, th- I felt like he came on and he gave us something different, you know. You could see when he got the ball, the crowd was lifted. Livingston players were a wee bit worried. Uh, he's just exciting to watch when he's when he's on that sort of form. And you just wanted him to run it, boys. Mm. But I did, he, he didn't seem to be on the same wavelength as Liam Smith a lot again. Uh, and on his time on the park, certainly. Like, there, was, there was times when I'm thinking, like, just go. Because Liam Smith would get the ball and Kujo would run towards him and he's... And you're narrowing the window and you're probably making it easier to stop as well like stretch the defence try and get Liam Smith to, to lob it over him and run on and then tap the boy on him and you get the bar at the other end of it but he was definitely the one bright spark of the day uh, but probably the only bright spark of the day if I'm being honest uh, Ross Graham coming today for Charlie McGrew who stepped out um, ladies um, I was pretty much on top of Charlie McGrew today so tell that as you will and uh, you're an earpiece in hell time it wasn't as kinky as you think. Uh, I think you could see Ross Graham's maybe no played as much because of this, but my word was he up against a handful of the day and the big big new play. He's yeah, a handful, he's, he's isn't he? A, he is. He's a no bad player, and that's the best way to describe him a handful. He really is. Yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a one of Ross's better games, but I didn't think that the boy got the better of him uh, too often. I, I didn't. Uh, I just just as a collective unit, we weren't a great. We just weren't great. And and again, in fairness to Ross, when he was in the team last season, there was three big buggers at the back. It was him, Mulgrew and Edwards. And kind of, I don't know what he's played uh, in the academy teams coming up through the ranks, but I've no idea if he's if he's more suited to that three or five at the back than he is to the two at the back. But he, he was always going to always gonna struggle today because the boy Nubly causes anybody bother. Uh, I cannot actually believe that he was on loan to Arbroath last season. Has he just developed into a player in the last year? Because he's no bad. He kens his way about a football pitch and he kens how to make it difficult for defenders. Um, Man of the match, pretty obvious then. Uh, good job. Okay, so I'll, add that, I'll add that to the list. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm given, given you've had a You've had a bit of deli belly, it seems, that uh, there was no the new pez today getting taken on. No pez, no. No, I've had, uh, what have I had today? As we record this at quarter to eight on a Sunday night, I've had an apple. That's what I've eaten today, Ron. It's just trying to poison you. You've got millions in the bunk. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that was, that was the day. It was... Uh, European hangovers are pretty brutal, aren't they? They're pretty brutal. Yes, pretty brutal. they certainly are. Yeah, and you know what, Rondo? Regardless of what happens on Thursday, it might be the same again next week. Mm-hmm. You'd, uh, wouldn't I? I hope no. Clearly, I hope that we we'll go there and we'll win. But we're we're record recently through at Tynecastle has not been the best. Uh, they're near mugs, and we'll be going there after a massive, massive night on Thursday for the club. Uh, so there may be a hangover because of that. So we'll just have to wait and see. 
we will have to wait and see on that front. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we got a bit of a pre-match boost this week as well. Jamie McGrath signed on loan from Wigan. I think it'd obviously been muted for a, quite a while. It seemed to be a player that was on the uh, we were wanting for a while. You know, going back, he played every pre-season game. You're thinking maybe it's not happening, maybe it will. And he has signed that year's deal, a uh, year's loan deal to come in. He was obviously come off the bench, got an assist on Thursday night. Started today. I thought he was a bit quieter today, to be honest. But again, yeah. you can go through the team and and yeah. say and and say the same for that. So, uh, but good to have him because I think he showed enough uh, uh, on Thursday night that he could he could certainly set, add. set the goal up. Indeed, a great wee it, flat. It's been it's been some transfer windy, I think, for United. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's been I can't remember many better ends. You know, I know that we were probably moaning about it a few weeks ago, saying like we need bodies in and can we need them in pronto? But okay, they, they maybe didn't come in as as quickly as anybody wanted. But the, the guys that we've brought in, like the Mister and International players, uh, the one that isn't sibled, and he's not let anybody do. Uh, so I, I think like hats off to to the recruitment to Mr. Ogren for obviously backing people's uh, recruitment, and it's just as I said a wee bit, a wee bit earlier, it's it bodes well for for what we're going to get for the rest of the season, uh, and it's it's given me a, a very decent chance of progressing in Europe as well. Absolutely, uh, Chris Mockrace went to Dunfermline on loan which will lead us seamlessly into Paul telling us about loan reports and uh, that a certain McNichol is finally wearing tangerine. Over to you, sir. We will start with the loan report. And Chris Mochery at Dunfermline. So Chris started his loan spell in Fife with a trip to face FC Edinburgh on Saturday. Given that it was relatively late in the week that he signed, he had to make do with a place on the bench. Dunfermline would be two up at half-time and on Easy Street, and in the 63rd minute, Chris would be introduced from the bench in place of the ex-boy wonder, Craig Whiten, as he made his debut for the Pars. It would only take Chris nine minutes to make an impression as he got himself on the score sheet, finishing off a very good move. It would finish 3-0 to Dunfermline, and I think we all hope that the lad gets plenty of game time this season and can really make that next step in his development. Finn Robson at Kelty Hearts. Finn made his debut for Kelty Hearts on Saturday as they travelled to face Aloha. He'd play the full 90 minutes, which is absolutely brilliant for him, but his team struggled and lost 3-1 on the day. Declan Glass at Derry say It was a hat-trick last week for Deco as he made his debut for Derry in the Cup and it was league duty for him this weekend. He travelled to face Dundalk in a game that would see second take on third. It would take only eight minutes for Deco to make his mark in this one as he made his way into the referee's book. Four minutes later, and Derry took the lead. It was a lead that they would keep until the 93rd minute, when their backline was breached and Dundalk would snatch a point from the jaws of defeat. As for Deco, he would play 77 minutes of this match. Jack Newman at Peterhead. What can I say about Jack and his time at Peterhead? Well, I hope he doesn't have to keep a clean sheet in order to get paid, as the pale laddie will be skint and starving real soon. He would come up against Clyde on Saturday and, as usual, played the full 90 minutes. He'd also play well, and although his team conceded two goals on the day, they also managed to score two themselves. 
More game time for Jack and the first point of the season for his Peterhead side. The academy lads started their season on Friday with a visit from Motherwell to Gussie Park. It was a team that they had royally pumped every time that they played them last season, but it was to be a different story this time. Motherwell took the lead in five minutes and it would stay that way until half-time. Early into the second half and United got back on level terms. Heenan would pick the ball up, carry it for 35 yards and slot it past the helpless keeper. The joy would be short-lived, however, as a mix-up between McCabe in the goal and Petrie would result in gifting Motherwell a goal. A couple of minutes before the end of the game, the Steel men would get and miss a penalty, but it didn't really matter as they would hold on to see out a 2-1 victory. Bad start to the season for the United youngsters, and next up, they travel through to the West Coast to play the Rangers. The women's team. Nine signings have been made, pre-season games have been played, and the real football would start today. The ladies welcomed Motherwell to Gussie Park, and it was to be a great start to life in the top league as Danny McGinley did what Danny McGinley does and got herself on the score sheet. It was the team's first ever top flight goal, and it was fitting that Danny scored it. The rest of the first half saw United very much on top, but they just couldn't get another goal. Into the second half now, and Motherwell were the team in the ascendancy. It did, however, take a penalty for them to get back on level terms. I'd love to say it was dubious, but it wasn't. Cassie Kilper pushed someone in the box, and the ref had no hesitation in pointing to the spot. I was hoping that the best keeper in the tune was going to stop it. However, the penalty was dispatched beautifully into the top corner. The game ebbed and flowed thereafter, and it was only the poor decision of a linesman that stopped United picking up all three points. They had the ball in the net in the 88th minute, but the linesman wrongly flagged for offside to deny the ladies the perfect start to the season. So it would finish in a one-all draw, and although it could have been a little bit better, it was a more than decent way to get their season up and running. Um, any signing news that you m- mentioned there for the women's team, Andy? Well, they signed they signed a lot of players. They signed a lot of players. And you particularly want to single it? N- nine in total, but they did somehow manage to tempt any of the best female goalkeepers in Scotland out of retirement in uh, the shape of uh, a lassie called Fiona McNichol. And uh, I can't tell you how happy I am about that. And I'm very proud. And I'm also a wee bit jealous, Rondo. I said it on social media. For years and years, I'd have loved to have played for United, clearly, like like thousands of others. I'd have loved to have seen my name on the back of a top that I hadn't have went into the shop and paid for myself. So football ability was let us do big time. So it was never going to happen. So to see my wee sister playing for United in the Premier League, that's uh, she's living my dream. And I'm so happy for her and I'm so happy for me as well. So she'll probably get man of the match every week if we're keeping a, a man of the match tally of the women's team. So we can just give her the player of the year just now, if you wish. Yeah, well, there's that. And Danny McGinley's obviously keeping her chocolate in the fridge. So there you go. Correct. Um, the Dundee United Community Trust a website has all the information you need on there for everything that is running with them. Uh, you can also win United Hospitality for four people on the website just now as well. But they've got loads of uh, really great events on there. All the details, of course, and the Community Trust formed in 2017 and has since invested over £1.3 million into our community which is just fantastic Smile is back for 2023 we will uh, give this a mention pretty much every single week I think uh, after the sellout live performances in 2020 
and the International Digital Tour in 2020-21. The Dundee Rep Theatre have included Smile in their 22-23 season. It's going to be next February is when it starts, but the Dundee United Sporters Foundation are having a gala night. Uh, They had one in 2020. It was a blind success. They're doing another one in 2023. It's on Wednesday, 22nd of February. Uh, It's going to just be a brilliant event because you're going to get to see Smile again. Then a couple of daft days are going to come on but then we're going to bring some guests on and it'll be really cool. So uh, John Holt's going to be on, Morris Malpass going to be on, two of our uh, podcast pals. Uh, one of them has a fridge named after them, uh, mm. Paul Zeus, um, which again, baffling, absolutely baffling when they hear about these it's things. Tickets are priced £25. You get two shows for the price of one. You've got a half-time pair. Seat numbers are allocated for the event. You can sit beside all your pals. Uh, but if you want to get a seat, you have to log in uh, with your details at dusf.scot forward slash shop uh, and so you must be able to qualify for it. I don't know the particulars, I just know that's what you need to do if you want to come along. It seems like a long time away, Sorry. generally, but it's only February, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to seeing it. We'll probably see Adler on the night and probably that's going to need go another night, but really, really looking forward to seeing the show again because it was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant first time round. I concur cracker right then uh, we've got a couple of new ideas flown about for merchandise somebody asked me last week I can't remember who it was it was on Thursday when I was going in Tanadice uh, I can't mind uh, apologies for that but thank you to everyone who does buy some merchandise and supports the podcast and as a blether when you know we see myself or Paul or whatever you want to mention I don't know I didn't get this conversation last night right I didn't get the guy's name but I'm going to tell you why so I was DJing last night it was probably half past one and a guy came up to me I'm sure he had a sherbet or two and he said Ronnie that's me uh, are you, you're going to be putting on Belinda aren't you you're going to be playing Belinda and I'm thinking well he has to be a United fan here like he has to be so anyway next song and I put Belinda on and there he is singing about the silky Welshman I've no idea who he was I've no idea if he made it to the game the day, but it was an absolute pleasure for sticking on. So there you go. Right? <laughs> it wasn't a lever himself, was it? Well, it might have been. And that's not a nice performance today. I'm, I'm not saying anything, but you never know, right? Anyway, so uh, yeah, thank you very much to everyone who, who gets involved and has a blather and whatever. And she'll have a few blathers this week for sure. Right, on this day, still to come, first though, Time for this week's special guest. So our guest this week might have made just 56 appearances for United, but he was very much a cult hero in his two seasons at the club. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Christian Calvinez. How are you, Christian? Very well, thank you. Uh, is it Calvinez? Is it Calvinus? What is the pronunciation of your name? The right one is Calvinus. Calvinus, okay. Yeah. That might be hopefully the only time I get it right. Because <laughs> names, they're not the best. Uh, can you take us back to what it was like growing up in Norway in the late seventies and early eighties, and how you found football? Yeah, well, I grew up in the middle of the city centre of Bergen uh, in the early eighties, and I grew up in a, <clears throat> a football family. My daddy was always uh, uh, playing football and managing football locally here, so. When I was a kid, uh, even from that time, I wanted to be a professional footballer. Uh, and I have an older brother as well, which is, he was the same, wanted to uh, stay in football, become a footballer. And uh, yeah, so we're both in football now as well. 
And what, what was your earliest memory of football then? Just just having it around the family? Yeah, I think um, like my holidays when I was a kid, that was traveling with my dad's team on uh, training camps to England. We were three times in Eastbourne in England in the early 80s. So that's probably the first memories I've got. And I remember in probably, was it 82, the European champ, or the World Cup when Italy Mm -hmm. won as well. That's probably the first time I remember watching football on on television. And did you get, as you start through boys club football, school football, you know, how did you get to kicking that ball about? Yeah, like uh, um, our local team is called Vareg. It's uh, like a local local boys team here in, in the city centre of Bergen. I played there until I was 18. <clears throat> then I went to Brand Bergen, uh, the big team in the city. Uh, stayed for, I had my debut when I was 18, but I didn't break through to the first team. So I went to a, a second division team called Osana, also in the same region. Stayed for another two years and then to a, a club called Songdal which was then a professional team as well. So that was my break in a professional football. Played three and a half years for them. And I'm back to Brambergen, where I met Charlie Mella. We'll get there. We'll get there. To, then he took me to Dundee United. <laughs> um, so, so taking yourself back to when you were a young guy growing up then, who was your, who was your first footballing hero? Platini. Good player. Oh, Very yeah. good player. How did you end up a left back then if Platini was your hero? Yeah, what went, yeah, what no, went wrong? No, no. I wanted to be a midfielder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, because of the European Championships in 84, that's mm. why uh, Platini came in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He was phenomenal. Listen, we've mentioned him. We may as well ask. He's been on the podcast. Mr. Charlie Miller. He's a character, isn't he? Yeah, he's a great character. And he was a brilliant footballer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I was lucky enough to play with him in, in, in Bergen. Um, and I think without him, I would have stayed in Bergen the rest of my career as well. So I got a lot of things to thank him for football-wise. And what was he like when he came into that dressing room? Well, he wasn't quiet, let's say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's never been quiet. Uh, he's a bubbly character. He's, got, he's funny. He's he, But he's a very good guy as well. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed playing with him. Yeah, and, and we I remember when we were asking him, it was just he'd went around some other countries when he played, and he always seemed to really find himself again. But he, he just strikes me as he will be the loudest one in the dressing room wherever yeah. he goes, you know. And I can imagine everyone in the Bergen dressing room, and then Charlie walks in, and it's like, oh wow, oh wow. Yeah. But then you see him on the football pitch, and he's he's incredible, isn't he? Yeah, his quality is he's got a great football mind. So sees passes that no one can see and great ability. So very good player. And would it be right in saying that he was also joined uh, as as you were by Robbie Winters as well? Yeah, we played uh, Robbie Winters player as well, and Robbie was a, a great player in Bergen as well. Uh, it was in her when he was here. We won the cup and the league. So mm-hmm. that was the first time we won the league in in sixty years in, in Bergen. So yeah. He, he was a very good player for us and a legend in Bergen. Yeah. Brilliant. And the thing is as well, you know, it's they were kind of players that were going a wee bit against the grain in terms of a lot of Scottish players didn't go out to play elsewhere. And these two guys have turned up in Norway and I know something they've been, you know, players now, there's a lot of them playing out in Italy and we're seeing players going Belgium and stuff like that. So 
what what how different were they to the type of players that were already playing in the team? You know, what did they bring to it? Well, I think um, I think that's the thing. I think Scottish players would fit very well in Norway, the same as Norwegian players would fit very well in in, in Scotland, because football, in a way, is played uh, more or less in the same way. The mentality is the same. What you demand of each other is the same. So, I would say it's easier when we're bringing in players from uh, abroad to Norway now. The best players are always like the Scandinavians because they know the culture and the game and the Scottish players as well because they know the game uh, and the mentality we're playing here. And I think it's the other way around as well. I think that's why uh, I enjoyed my time so much in Scotland. And I know uh, quite a few Scandinavian players has done that before me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how did your move to Dundee United come about? Um, well, we were actually out in pre-season in Norway because pre-season in Norway, that's like winter time. And we were out running uh, in the mountains and Charlie came up to me and he said, have you ever considered playing in Scotland? Uh, and would you like to have a chance playing in Scotland? And I thought, yes, of course I would. But, you know, we were running. So, well, Charlie would say anything then, you know. <laughs> uh, then I didn't hear anything un- until like next summer. And then he came to me and he told me that he's spoken to Dundee United and they were looking for a left back and wondered if I want to uh, go abroad to... Uh, yeah, to play a game with them. We played Dundee in the Discovery Cup in, in mm. I remember. And I just got married uh, at that time and we're just starting to, like, planning to, for the rest of life here in Norway. And at the same time, I just felt that, well, I've always had a dream of going to the UK to, to play football. Why would I give it up now if I finally got the chance? So... I went over and I remember it was Craig Brewster who was the manager at that time, had a couple of training sessions and um, played a game against Dundee where Kevin McDonald played for Dundee at the time. We, we mm-hmm. played together at uh, Burnley later on. And yeah, I signed the deal and I was, yeah, looking back, it's probably the two best years of my career. Mm. Did, did you know much about the club or even Scottish football before? you came over to sign for United? No, not so much about the club or even Scottish football. Well, of course, Rangers and Celtic because they are the big clubs you always, uh, uh, they always uh, write stories about them, but not so much about the club. So it was a new experience for me as well. Yeah. Mm. I, I actually, I'd, I'd been to Aberdeen just for a weekend before. That was the only time I, I'd been to Scotland before I signed you, for United. You went to Aberdeen for a weekend, Christian? <laughs> For a weekend shopping. That, with that's, that sounds like punishment for <laughs> yeah. something heinous. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned there, you, you just got married and stuff. How how did it go breaking the news to your new wife that you were thinking, I quite fancy going to Scotland just to try things out for a couple of years? <laughs> well, um, she, the problem was she just had got a new job here in Norway as well, so she had to give up like everything in a way. And... But at the same time, she she understood where I was coming from because I was always uh, always told about my dream of playing in the UK. Mm. But what we did, we I think I played there f- by myself for the first six months, and then she gave up a job and she moved over. So my uh, oldest son, he's actually actually born in Dundee at Nine Wells Hospital there, 
uh, and uh, I've got a girl who's born in in England in Bury, and my last boy he's born here in in Bergen. So he's telling the other kids that uh, well, I'm the only Norwegian in the family. <laughs> Slightly United Nations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well, like they're quite proud of like my oldest one is quite uh, proud of being born in the he's got in his passport birthplace Dundee as well. So it's it's always with him. Oh, super. Is he a football player? Yeah, he's a footballer. So you're telling me that he's he's he can play for Scotland then? Is that, is that what you're telling us? He's going to be a left back as well, so don't you worry. <laughs> oh, we've got about a hundred left backs. Yeah, we've got a lot of them here. We're doing all right there. So, you, so you leave you leave a dressing room with Charlie Miller, and you walk into a dressing room with Noel Hunt, another character <laughs> that we spoke to for a while on here. I mean, hey, I mean, what can you say about Noel Hunt? The thing is that. I think I stayed three months in the dressing room before I could understand a word he was saying. <laughs> so uh, his Irish accent isn't the easiest when you're a Norwegian. But uh, uh, Noel Hunt is a character, but he's probably one of the kindest guys I've ever met, like uh, from the inside. So he's a very good guy. Uh, he was a great footballer. And uh, me and him went more or less at the same time down to England as well and had a great career over there. So very, very good guy. Yeah, that, that comes up a lot that he's like, he's as mad as a box of frogs, but yeah. he's, he was such a generous kind of guy. That that yeah. always comes up. Uh, so you so you said before you came to Scotland, you obviously knew about the horrible two teams from Glasgow, but your competitive debut was against one of the teams, yeah. and you even scored in that game. Yeah. What was your thoughts after that one? Uh, <clears throat> well, the, the thing is that I never scored goals like much goals at home and when I first came over uh, knowing that my first game was going to be against Rangers at Ibrox uh, I think it was Paul Le Guin's first home game as a manager mm. for Rangers so it was a full stadium you couldn't even hear my uh, teammates speak or anything and I remember when I was heading in that second goal I was just I remember Noel Hunt put his arm around me when we were running to the fans and he said breathe breathe because <laughs> it was uh, it was an amazing experience it was a fantastic just to play at Ibrox um, uh, 2-0 up uh, should have won it but they took you off they took you off and it went bear shaped I know I had cramps in my toes in my calves in my hammies and everything so I couldn't walk so mm-hmm. it was probably my first proper game in a long time mm. Just but see, just before you sign in, then how, how does the Norway season work? Would you have been in pre season or had your season finished? What would you have been done coming like, into moving? We were in mid season, so we had oh, okay. a, like a summer break. Yeah, uh, so I remember I think I played a game against European game against Glentoran from Northern Ireland. That was the last game I played here before I went over. All ah, right, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's always a you know with that, and you're just thinking you're saying you've got cramps and everything. You like maybe you've never trained or played, but I know you'd come over a bit <laughs> earlier. And yeah. uh, you were on the score sheet. Who scored the first goal for United that day? Noel Hunt. Noel Hunt. Yes, he did. Yeah. There's a Noel Hunt Christian Calvinist double act going on here. I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and Stephen Robb, your replacement, scored an own goal past yeah, from about twenty yards out. Yeah. Um, it would never happen if you were still on. But after that, what was your first impression of football in Scotland after the first couple of games? Um, well, I think the football is quite similar to the Norwegian football, uh, like quality-wise as well. 
but the passion of the fans, the mentality of the players, uh, uh, that's probably what I loved about the game. The nice stadiums, the perfect pitches, especially in the summer half of the year. But I think the passion of the fans um, and I would say the kindness of the people, like everywhere you go, the Scottish people, they always have uh, time for you to talk to you uh, politely. I think when living in England, people are more, it's more its more crowded, it's more busy. They don't have the same time for you uh, as you do in Scotland. So I would say Scotland is much more similar to Norway than the English uh, game is as well. Mm-hmm. Even Aberdeen for that weekend. <laughs> People still nice great. up there. Bit too great. It's very great. Yeah. <laughs> so you you were kind of in the team pretty much and ever present right up until things went absolutely wrong for United uh, and we played Falkirk and you weren't in uh, you weren't in the team that day. We lost five <laughs> one. That was unfortunately Craig Brewster's last game. Uh, were you injured that day or was it just a completely different way to to approach that game from the manager? Uh, well, I think I don't know if I want to go into all of that, but um, I would say it like this: we had a, a team meeting mm-hmm. a couple of days before that game, uh, and we were speaking about how to what was wrong at the moment. And I would say it like this: that everybody who spoke their mind about what was wrong and what to do to get out of this situation was on the bench or in the stands that day. Okay. So it's one of the things that have taught me quite a lot about being a leader and a manager, those situations there. So after that game, I remember I've been there for, I think it was three months, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was end October. That was. Yeah. And I remember talking to Charlie, after the game and I said well I don't know what's happening now we don't know who's coming in uh, it's a guy called Craig Levine I didn't know Levine that well and I remember Charlie just said just keep your head down work hard and you'll see what happens so I remember the first session that uh, Craig Levine had uh, I was probably more on the grass than standing because I was tackling and running about all that just, I just want to show him that I want to be a part of this Mm-hmm. And luckily for me, he wanted to have me in the team as well. And looking back, he's the best manager I've ever had in my career. He's he was outstanding um, when it comes to like his team management, his man management, and the way he went about uh, the dressing. You had so much respect for him. Every time he was opening his mouth, I was standing with my ear as close to him as possible to catch every word he was saying because he was outstanding yeah I mean, well the difference is immediate then like from when Craig Brewster left to Craig Levine coming in was it like the very from the very first session you just thought we're, we're dealing with somebody completely different here altogether yeah it was a different approach to everything um, I think it was hard for Craig Brewster right? and when the team is losing and losing and losing it's hard to turn it around um, I think we went wrong with how we was going to turn it around. But when Levine came in as an old center half, he structured the defense, first of all, how to play the defense. And and he was like, uh, scoring goals, 
uh, it's about uh, confidence. If we don't score goals, uh, if we only score one goal in the game, we should win that game 1-0. So it was all about how we defend, how we structured the defense, how we structured the midfield to defend properly. And then we start to build a play from, at, from the back. And um, we got in a couple of players, uh, I think, in the first win uh, among um, Sean Dillon, among uh, others. Mm-hmm. But I think even from the start there, you could see a different structure to the team. And when the team starts winning, you get the confidence in the team. And these things just spin about in a good manner. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, obviously Craig Levine brought his right-hand man in with him, Peter Houston, who we've had on the podcast. And yeah. he's he's such a great guy. He was so yeah. much... I mean, we were in front of a live audience that night and he was a lot funnier than I thought he would be. But he, <laughs> he was very honest about the go-between he was between the manager and the players. What was he like for you? Uh, Houston as well was a great man. Uh, good, like... I've always preferred to work with uh, managers and leaders, which are good people, good human. They want the best for you as a, as a person as well. They can know the, um, um, the topic they're teaching you, but they need to be good men. And these, and both Craig Levine and Peter Houston are good men. Um, so like you had immense respect for Levine and he wasn't speaking more than he ought to. It was just, he was saving his breath until something is important, important will come in, and then he spoke up. But Houston was more like, like a middleman who could come in the dressing room and joke about with everybody. Um, and uh, and then the gaffer came in. Even Houston was, you know. Um, but I think they, as a team, made a special dressing room and what's happening on the pitch. Mm. And his uh, his first game. You know, you're facing Rangers again, given the yeah. run we'd been on is always a worry for everyone. But what a last 13 minutes of a match that was that day. Yeah, yeah. well, I think in my time in Scotland, I think I played five games against Rangers and I never lost after 90 minutes. So it's a, quite a good statistic there. But that game as well, I think, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was Barry Robson and... Lee Mayer who scored the goals uh, Gary Kenneth and Lee Mayer Gary Kenneth, Kenneth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so again after coming from losing to um, St Mirren 5-1 and then turning the game around against the uh, Rangers winning 2-1 at San it was you're starting to believe it again and that was fantastic mm-hmm. and then and then if we take you a wee bit further forward to you had a pre-Christmas present uh, as you, you were sent off against Motherwell I think yeah. you maybe committed three fouls in the game and you ended up with a red card from Santa nightmare yeah because yeah, I think that that's well that was the first uh, red card in my career mm-hmm. uh, it was two yellows and I was I had friends over from Norway to come and watch that game as well and if I'm not it was like after half an hour or something I had a yellow and it went a couple of minutes and I got a second booking so it was well I think it was it wasn't it was stupid of me so I just mm. came late twice and shit happened well, um, what did Levine say to you after that just match? what was a way to ask <laughs> well I was quite um, worried about what he was going to say <laughs> um, but I remember him coming in and he said because I think something similar happened to was it Noel Hunt one of the games before, he got sent off. One of the other players got sent off. But he got sent off for 
uh, shouting to the ref. It wasn't, it was something else. And I remember Levine was quite angry. So I was worried when he came in. But he was like, he got sent off for two tackles. He was fine with that. Could he, he could see he was going for the ball. Uh, he didn't want me to slack down in the tackles or anything. So uh, I think if I got sent off for using my hands and shouting at the ref, it would be a different story. Yeah, we managed mm-hmm. to win the game, which is the main thing that day. Yeah. <laughs> it really helped. But our, our journey started really bad. I mean, Falkirk beat us again, Rangers beat us, but there was no Christian Calvinus in the lineup. Now, I'm guessing that you must have either been injured because you wouldn't have been suspended that long, surely, for, for the amount of games that you'd missed. For Christmas. Yeah, just around yeah, Christmas yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I had a hamstring injury. Mm. So I was out... I think I was out the whole Christmas period. Yeah, if pretty I'm much, yeah. 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 Uh, and I, th- I think that happens, happened both seasons when I was there. I didn't play any of the Christmas programs. So It's colder than Norway and in Scotland at Christmas time. Come uh, on. Ronnie, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that Christian likes Turkey. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and I'm not on about the country. Yeah. No, no, I was injured at the time. So I think my first game after the injury was that Kilmarnock away. Uh, it, yeah. it, that's a good question. Uh, it was, it was away, yeah, yeah. So you missed about probably about five weeks or something. Because I was looking at yeah. it going, well, you got sent off. You might get a two match ban. You're not going to be at that yeah. long, but but there we go. And uh, yeah. obviously, Sean Dillon had signed by then. John Daly had signed by then, and yeah. uh, one man who was getting back in the team, Lee Wilkie, who is. Yeah. Uh, who was obviously pitched in that game at Falkirk and should never have been pitched in at that game at Falkirk. Yeah. Uh, and just to see how much he managed to get out of his career, given he effectively had no knee, you know, what's yeah. going on? And he, to see him starting playing, I remember speaking to him that, again, the Craig Levine effect, he just said, I think you should go on loan because he went away to Ross County and stuff. And yeah. he started to really come into that. And that was a Sean Dillon at right back, you were at left back, and you had two... Well, characters that were head of Brick Wolfie and Lee Wilkin, Gary Kenneth at centre half. <laughs> then it must have been fun to play alongside. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a great defence. And like you said, those four defenders, we could uh, defend that box quite well. And I think Levine, he wanted two strong, big centre halves because you had Darren Dodds as well after a while. Mm-hmm. So the two centre halves playing with them. Um, um, and me and Dillo on, on the fullbacks as well. We had, uh, yeah, I think the score rate against us went just down and down and down at that time. Yeah, and Levine sure. seemed, he did seem uh, to steady the ship when he came in. Uh, so were you thinking at the end of the season that the clubs, like from where we were at the start of the season, were now going in the right direction? Like what was, what was your thinking for moving on to the following season? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I just remember after, um, after the Falker game, um, Eddie Thompson came over to me because he he saw that I was quite sad there. I said, and he just he put his arms around me and he told me, "Don't worry, Christian, it will get better soon." And then the next day, Levine came in and we had a great end of the season. And you just felt that okay, next season, this is gonna like we're gonna be in the top half. Mm-hmm. And that following summer, uh, I had a when I went early back to Norway and I had an operation on my, I had Gilmore's groin. So I did an operation back home here. So I missed probably most of the preseason, just got back to the Barcelona game at Tannerice. 
be fantastic just playing against those stars in preseason. And then the first game uh, of that season was against Aberdeen. And I think we won one to one. Yeah. One note. Yep. Ten man as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then we just went on. So are you telling me you missed out on what is the infamous Craig Levine pre-season that we've heard is some of the hardest pre-season that players have done? Uh, well, I missed some of it. Yeah, I was in, I was part part of it. I got some of it. I, I didn't get because I was with um, Stevie Campbell's uh, youngsters for some part and some of it I had with Craig Levine's team. Uh, so yes, I could see even those stuff I was doing was was hard. So we've yeah. heard some some uh, some stories about horror what, horror stories. What Camper Downs <laughs> like and Hamburger Hill and getting yeah, yeah, you yeah. know Hamburger Hill wasn't the hardest one. We went to our broth to that military camp. And <laughs> I remember Con, all the boys sitting in the dressing rooms, uh, being nervous before every training session. What was going to happen now? Uh, but it was fun to look back on. Yeah. Well, the thing is, <laughs> I think every player has said, though, at the time it was horrible, but the rewards of how mm. fit a Craig Levine team were were certainly going the seasons before. Um, you know, compared to that, it was really, really different. But we've got to ask the Barcelona game then. I mean, what an what an atmosphere for everything. You were up against Ronaldinho and Eto for uh, 45 minutes. How did you cope? How much did you love that experience? And whose top did you get? Uh, it was yeah. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. Just walk on a pitch with, like you said, Savi, Iniesta, Ronaldinho, Thierry Henry, Lilian Thuram. Great experience. Um, I think I played in the first half with against a player called Santiago Esquero. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the right winger because Messi got a couple of days extra off because he played the Copa America. And then we came in the dressing room at halftime on the way back to the dressing room at halftime. And I just I just knew that they were going to uh, change the whole squad. So when we were walking back to the dressing room, I spoke to him like half English, half Spanish and asked to get a shirt. So we swapped shirts halftime. Uh, uh, I was sat down in the dressing room uh, at halftime and um, Kat, the kit man, he just shouted at me, Christian, where's your shirt? <laughs> I just couldn't understand what he was saying. So I just swapped shirt with a Barcelona player. And then he told me, are you stupid? We only got one shirt. <laughs> so Craig Levine got Kat to go in the Barcelona dressing room and get my shirt back from them. <laughs> the second half. And then Gifty was walking over to me and I just thought, oh, fucking hell now, who's this guy? <laughs> Take me off. And then Houston just said, Christian, now you've got yourself a shot. Make sure you get me a shot in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> so, and did you? I think it was me and Mark here who swapped shirt in the first time and uh, first half, and they had to bring it back at halftime. <laughs> I can't believe we lost that game. I still can't believe no. we lost that game. Oh, robbed. So robbed. It, was great. it was great to to play them and it was fun because it was their first game of the season you could see they yes. were like playing at probably 90% uh, 80% and then sometimes you just switch gear and bang 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 but Ronaldinho like Savi and Iniesta are good but Ronaldinho he was for me different class the best player I've ever played against mm-hmm. Un- yeah. unbelievable yeah no just, doubt 
just unbelievable. See, you look at that lineup, you know, Ronaldinho, Eto, uh, Yaya Turi, Xavi, Iniesta, whatever, and then at half time they bring on, you know, Abaletti, Abadal, Deco, uh, Bojan, obviously a big player, Thierry Henry, Van Bronckhurst, I mean, the current the Rangers yeah. manager, stuff like that. Just, it's just incredible. But we we definitely should have we should have got something at that game. We'll, at least we don't have to speak about the following year's game. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was a, a hosing, wasn't it? It was, it was. So you said uh, the season started against Aberdeen. Uh, we beat them 1-0. I'm pretty sure it was a last-minute goal. I think it was an error from Andrew Considine for Aberdeen. He tried to chest the ball down, and the man with one of the funniest runs in Scottish football, David Robertson, nipped in and scored. Have you ever seen a player with that running style before? <laughs> no, not in men's football. <laughs> uh, what, what what sort of character was Robertson like anyway uh, he, he always seems like a good a, laugh yeah he was a good guy uh, he was one, one of the younger guys bringing into the, uh, breaking into the team and because uh, um, he I, can't, I don't think he played much on the Brewster what, when Levine came in he he played more and more and he scored some quite important goals for us winning goals and that was one of them mm-hmm yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and the, the uh, second game of the season, we went to Rugby Park. <laughs> it wasn't your night, was it? No. Unbelievable. <laughs> Wrongly red carded. Uh, yeah. Well, we're winning 1-0 and we eventually lost 2-1. It was never a red. No. Nope. <laughs> it wasn't a free kick either. So, um, like, it was my second red card in Scotland and, and those are the two, my two red cards I've ever had in my career. I've never had anything after that either. But the thing is, I just... I remember going down for that ball. Um, can't remember the name of the player, but he went to Rangers. Um, Stephen Naismith. Yeah, that's right. And I curled my foot down so I wouldn't hit him, and I, straight to the ball. But then when he went down, he was shouting as well. <laughs> so the referee thought I caught his ankle. Uh, and I was quite sure he was coming with a yellow card just because he... But it wasn't even a yellow card, but then he came with a red card. So I just walked off the pitch because I just know that there's no there's no point in arguing with a ref when you get a red card. There's no, no chance it's going to uh, change that. Uh, but I remember coming off the pitch, the guy from, uh, uh, was it Setanta, who was showing uh, the games at the time, okay. just told me when I came off, it's never a foul. It's never a foul at all. So yeah. it was good for me knowing that because uh, when we lost 2-1, uh, I don't think Levine would have been happy uh, if it was a, a bad tackle either. No, and we could assure you that the, the standard of Scottish refereeing has not really improved in, uh, in the 14 years no, that you've not, been away. It's really not. Uh, obviously, we now know that you missed the, the winter uh, fixtures due to injury, but the first half of the season, you were playing in front of a man, Gregor Jamatulski. Oh. I mean, some goalkeeper, oh, what yeah. a man. Yeah, what a man. Uh, another character. But I think at that time, uh, I remember I had uh, Shamu at the back. We had Dodgy and Wilkie uh, at Santa Half. I remember sometimes if it was um, after some tackles that were pushing, some players were coming up to me and, and shouting. I just remember stepping two steps back and the next moment Shamu, uh, uh, Lee Wilkie and uh, Dodgy were in front of me. Uh, protecting me uh, so uh, I had probably the, the toughest uh, defence guard uh, in the <laughs> um, 
very good uh, goalkeeper, like you said. And he, yeah, uh, one of many good Polish goalkeepers, as we had uh, Lukas Saluska mm-hmm. yeah. just after him as well. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we've heard we've we've heard stories about Szymanowski. Like people were scared to score against him in training because he, he just didn't take kindly to that sort of behaviour at all. <laughs> yeah, and Lee Wilkie had said he he hadn't seen a goalkeeper with that much like reaction speed to yeah. get down and get up again. It was it was yeah. incredible at times. Like he would see a shot come past him, he'd yeah. get a glimpse of the, the goalie diving for it. And next thing he was on his feet yeah. with the ball in his hand. Yeah, yeah. he was he was a great goalkeeper. Uh, his kryptonite was of course he was an old time goalkeeper with he couldn't use his legs so whenever he got the ball he was like kicking it to the opponent and he would save it again um, but maybe he was, that was his plan to look good yeah 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 yeah. yeah he, he was he was an ex-time goalkeeper yeah mm-hmm. Sean Dillon says he gave him his nickname so yeah I mean I, I'm not arguing listen I'm not going to ask Gregor Shamatulski who called him the mad monk I'm, I'm not there <laughs> But but he done a he done a brilliant turn for us that that six yeah, months. Yeah, 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 it was outstanding. Just incredible. Um, obviously, you were you were out over the Christmas, and then the game you come back in is the League Cup semi final against Aberdeen, yeah. which was played at Tynecastle, which we spoke about a lot of times with some of your ex teammates. For me, it's one of my favourite United games because yeah. Tynecastle's a great stadium. I hate saying that. I feel horrible saying that. Uh, and then. To get a win there against Aberdeen, four-one, I thought we were brilliant on the night, and we even let them score first. Yep. Yeah, it was one of my, I would say, one of my favourite games in my two years in Scotland. Um, remember, we um, we travelled down on the bus. It was raining. It was wet. Um, semi-final, and like you say, Tyne Castle is an intimate, a very nice stadium to play at. Playing, um, and down 1-0 and we won 4-1 scoring a goal and I remember so much we were sitting in the dressing room after the game and again Eddie Thompson came in the dressing room and you can see at that time he was uh, he was probably on some kind of medications You could because you could see he was quite uh, ill at that time um, and I remember him, I was standing up in the dressing room hugging him after the game because I wasn't sure if he was going to live even for the final. Yeah. But luckily, he, he had another couple of years after that. But it was an um, emotional experience as well. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it was. Like, because fans, we, we all remember that Eddie, he wasn't very well and he was obviously the owner, but he was a massive fan of yeah. the club as well. And it just seemed to be, we everybody wanted us to win the cup yeah. for Eddie Thompson that season. That That's... That's what always sticks in my mind. But that night itself was absolutely fantastic. You to have to have not have played for so long, and then to come back into such a high-profile game, all action because they always are against Aberdeen. You must have been absolutely knackered after that. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I was cramping up. <laughs> well, but uh, it wasn't. It was. It was a great game. Uh, winning four-one. Uh, that support we had that night. Um, yeah, it was just. Fantastic. And a bullet and header from Lee, a Craig Conway cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and Lee Miller got sent off. Yeah, Lee Miller got sent off as well. Uh, Ex-United <laughs> player, so we, yeah. we, we gave him a little wave <laughs> as, he, as he made his way towards the tunnel. <laughs> it was, uh, I'd say, one of the games was amazing. And obviously, just touching on the 
the final though is definitely one of the, as a fan one of the yeah. biggest disappointments for us you know the team had yeah. so well that day controlled most of the game and we just fell short of that final hurdle that day yeah. robbed yeah I felt so as well like um, sometimes uh, I sit down with my dad and speak about that game and he's like he's the same like we're almost crying every time we talk about it again because um, in the final and you control in the game that much as we did in that game uh, it's unbelievable that we actually couldn't get anything from it um, I was thinking totally best uh, in the 90 minutes best in the uh, we could have lost it like the last couple of minutes in the second extra time just after they scored it 2-2 I think we just lost it at that time um, but it's, just, it's a shame we couldn't uh, do better in the penalties because I think they missed the first penalty as well so we had every chance to just win that as well but mm-hmm. it wasn't to be that night There's a couple of things that we, we need to touch on from that game and the first one uh, it clearly involves yourself and it's early into the second half and you break into the box I mean we all know you were probably going to score uh, and Carlos Quelar. I mean, uh, uh, you can only describe it as he wrestles you to yeah. the ground. To this day, Christian, and I watched this last night when we were putting together our notes for speaking to you. Yeah. I cannot, for the life of me, believe that we did not get a penalty. No. And um, it was a definite penalty. A hundred percent. I think Levine spoke a lot about this, like the big decisions that Celtic and Rangers seems to get in front of all the other teams. and. This is one of those decisions because that uh, a penalty there and a goal there that would have killed the game off for us. Yes, yep. uh, there were no chance they were coming back. Uh, we were a far better team in that game, but at the same time, this is football. This is what happens, and well, there's nothing to do about it. No, it was a heartbreaker. Yeah. Uh, the the other thing that we need to mention was the pass back. Uh, like Mark Kerry played so well that day, yeah. but he is now eternally remembered by United fans for that one pass back yeah. that just and we, when we spoke to Sean Dillon about this he was like yeah but that like okay he, he made a mistake there he's passed it back it wasn't the winning goal you know we still had time mm. to get more goals which we did we still had penalties so like what was what was Mark Kerr like after the game were people just trying to get around him because he must have felt some some immense weight on his shoulders after that one yeah yeah I think he was heartbroken but I think on the bus as well, he was just... It's it's hard to comfort someone just after a game like that. Um, mm. um, but the thing is that Mark Kerr played so well in that game. Mm-hmm. He was uh, one of the main reasons to put us in a position uh, where we played as well as we did in that game. And because he showed so much composure on the ball, that's why we, went, we played well against Rangers. So for him doing this, it was like... It was because we played like this the whole game. Uh, so, uh, but like you said, it's five minutes to go. It couldn't happen on a, on a worse time. But like, this is football. Shit yeah. happens. Yeah, like if it wasn't for him, we probably, the game could have, uh, we could have lost the game earlier because he played fantastic in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sure did. How sort of different would a Craig Levine team talk been like going into a final or the semi final from sort of a league game? You know, did he does he say anything different? Does he go through any different or is he very much business as usual? It's just another game, it's just 
a wee bit more on the line? Uh, well, um, I can just uh, imagine like nothing really changes well, and that's probably what yeah, I'm getting yeah, at. I well, think he's he was always preparing well again, well, whoever we were playing against, mm. but I think in the big games, uh, uh, your motivation will get high just by walking on the pitch when it's 50,000 in the stands shouting at you. So for myself at least, it's just about keeping your uh, your momentum down until you get on the pitch because it all will come then. Uh, but I think we, we prepared quite well. We, we had a, we stayed at the Hearts' uh, training facilities. We had a training session mm-hmm. at Tynecastle. We even practiced penalties. You couldn't believe that uh, on the day. Um but uh, yeah, so I just can't remember like how we went about mm. in the dressing room, but it must have been more or less the same as the league game. And what was it like walking actually before the game, walking out for before the start of that game and seeing all the fans at one end? Uh, it's like um, the same way as when I walked out uh, at Ibrox when 50,000 as well. You can see like the hair on your arms were raising, but the, the big difference is that when you walk out on Ibrox, you can only see some of the United fans when you're walking out at Hamden like there was like half the stand was orange tangerine it was an outstanding experience and that's what it took from the game I was um, um, heartbroken for not winning it but at the same time proud of being allowed to play for such a great team and such a great uh, stadium in front of such a great fans in such an important game that's something that I will remember for the rest of my life. So, yeah. And you would play a few more matches that season. Uh, your last goal for the club was against Rangers. I'm sure you remember it. It was a 35, y- no, it wasn't anything like 35 yards, was it? It was about 35 centimetres out. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a good game. Was that the three all that finished? Yeah, yeah. that's right. We had a great, that was not after, not so long after the final. So it was funny playing them that quick. Uh, and the 3-3 uh, if I'm scored on a corner I think I just first I was I had in it and uh, it came back and I got got on my heel in some way and just yeah, clicked right in the top and, corner yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, two of my three goals in Scotland against Rangers must be good mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's it a good celebration after it as well right in front of the United fans yeah it's good yeah. <laughs> you would all, you would actually play another once for the club that was the following week against Hibs in a 1-1 draw was it again yeah. injury that kind of did it finish your season a wee bit early yeah yeah um, I remember I was uh, I was just down tackling the the right winger and he stepped on my knee and when he stepped on my knee um, he, I pulled my ligament my knee ligament so I was out for probably eight weeks after that. So I went, uh, when I came in the dressing room, Jeff Clark checked me after a few days and then Levine said, if you want to go home with your family now, you're fine with that because you can't play the rest of this season anyway. So I can't remember how many games we got left, but after that, I just got home to Bergen with the family, yeah. And then you would leave at the end of that season. Uh, Everyone thought you were heading back to Norway. I think that's what was reported in the press. Yeah. And then lo and, lo and behold, you ended up down at Burnley. Yeah. How did all that come about? Yeah, because like um, <clears throat> when I spoke to Levine uh, about the new contract uh, and everything, 
uh, I told him that the plan for the family now is going home to Norway unless something very special opens up for me. Mm. So that was like the only option I had. So when I got back to Norway, I was um, uh, in talks with the two teams here in Bergen at the time. Went to Rhodes for summer holiday. And when I was there, uh, I got a phone call from Owen Coyle. So had a chat with him um, and got back to Bergen, had another couple of calls when we were negotiating. And then I had a final call to Levine and Peter Husner again, just to ask them what they thought about it. And they said, well, if they're offering you this and chance to play in the championship, just take it. Yeah. So I was, I was, when I spoke to my agent, I just said, I just want the one year contract. I'm not going for two years. I'm going for one. And they was like, I'm sure we can get a two year contract. You even get a three year contract. You're sure you don't, don't want anything. I just want a one year contract because that's the, we're going home as a family. And then when they got me the deal, I got a one year contract plus an option, which I could take mm-hmm. for the second year. And looking back, I was so happy that I had a second year so I wouldn't miss out for a year in the Premiership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, worked yeah, all right for you. Yeah. yeah. What, what was it like playing, or what was the difference like between England and Scotland? Um, like, everything is bigger in England in a way. Like, the stadiums are bigger, there's more crowdy, crowd uh, in the streets, everywhere. But, um, uh, so the league is a bit tougher. It's more... Like the championship, it's very pacey. Uh, it's a fast game. Um, uh, and you play, I think we played 61 or 62 games that year when we went up. Uh, we played nine games in January when uh, the pitches were awful. So it's it's a bit different than, Scot- uh, different than Scotland where you play a game every week. Um, uh, but I think I love, I love both the experience of being in England and being in Scotland um, and of course when you when we played as a team which came to the playoffs uh, in Championship and the Premier League you're playing at the level which you find uh, I was 33 at the time uh, and you're playing young fast right wingers you feel like oh I'm fighting above my class here you know <laughs> so uh, but it was I love the experience as well Oh, nice one. Um, some of your teammates that we just, we need to ask you about, um, whether we've had them on or we've heard good about them. Lee Wilkie, obviously the skipper. Um, did you witness the fight he had with Kovacevic? No, that was after I, I had moved. Ah, we weren't sure of that. Okay. There's no, a lot of people no, that no. seem to miss that fight. I don't, mm. I don't know about that. I mean... No, no, <laughs> I think that was one or two seasons after yeah. I, I left. I actually, I, when I stayed in Dundee, I... Uh, I was renting his house in um, in Brody Ferry, so he was my landlord. Yeah, <laughs> he has got more property than anyone I know in Dundee. <laughs> he owns half of Dundee. I know, I know. Uh, and his neighbour is still the same guy, as you as you well know. <laughs> yeah. uh, one one of your other teammates, Willow Flood. Yeah. Did you understand a word that that angry man was saying? Probably as much as I did of Noel Hunt. So, uh, no, <laughs> why was he always so angry? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, it's a, it was a good, he was a funny guy, but I think everybody was just loving to wind him up because he was would get angry for everything. <laughs> so even the Irish players were winding it up, you know. 
<laughs> and, and speaking of people, could you understand what we were saying? Gary Kenneth, you know, we'd had a brick wall, like I said, but what what a guy, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, he was a very good guy, very good guy. Um, I think it was easier to understand Kenneth than the Irish players. <laughs> <laughs> I thought here that said there you go that is brilliant absolutely brilliant uh, and how did you get on with Craig Conway a podcast pal of ours well I think uh, I came in the same season as yes came in yeah and um, I, I think I went on well with, with Craig um, I think he might have he assisted a, all three of your goals yeah he probably did he probably <laughs> did. Yeah. so uh, like uh, yeah was he the type of player that you would hate to face in training? Yeah, because he, he could like go on the inside of you, go on the outside of you. He could cross, he could score. So he, he, the good thing is that he turned out to be have a fantastic career in down in England as well. Yeah. So he had because he came from lower leagues just the same season as I came. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, looking back at his career, he had a, a great career. Yeah. Yeah. And um, would yeah. you be surprised if we told you when we had Sean Dillon on the podcast, the episode lasted over four hours? Yeah. Four hours. Yeah. Over four hours. <laughs> and we had to, to we had to bring him back for a live show to finish off the conversation. <laughs> and there's and you, I mean I don't think you're going to change anything here, but he is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. Oh, he's fantastic, outstanding. He's like. Yeah, um, yeah, top of the top of the range, top of the range. Yeah, and, and he's uh, he's a good singer. <laughs> oh, he's a good singer. All right, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right, we'll have to get him back. Definitely then, need yeah, to ask him about he that. Could, he could serenade yeah. the, the listeners. I know. Yeah, um, he loves take that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. We'll use that against him. Yes, we will. Yeah. And uh, he obviously w- come in the same season as you a bit later on, but he was, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, he's been still lives in the area now and. Loves yeah. it totally yeah. and, grow, and still playing, no less, yeah. up at Montrose it's, currently. So he was always he was always one of the fittest guys in the team. And I think the last time I went back to Dundee was for his testimonial game. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. really loved coming back to meet all the guys. And it was it's special nowadays that players play at the club for so long as he did. So I can still see he's got his uh, training camp or his yeah. Uh, yes yeah yeah. And obviously, no surprise when it was Noel Hunt that grabbed Sean's young lad to come on the park and just score the goal at the end of yeah. the testimonial yeah. and decided not to tell anyone that he was bringing him on and had to tell Andy Webster, don't two foot me in the box here because, <laughs> you know, just calm. <laughs> yeah. Typical. Uh, another, another guy that came in, uh, I think he came in when you were there, a uh, very, very small, diminutive player, Danny Swanson. How good a player was he in training? Yeah. Uh, Danny, I think he also came in from, Levine brought him in from uh, lower leagues. Yeah. Berwick Rangers. Um, yeah. Same yeah. Mar- Margaro and Prince. And- mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, skill player, um, quick feet. Um, yeah. He was a very, very good player when he came in. Mm-hmm. But I think he came in, was it the last, second season when I was there? And the summer and uh, the January transfer window. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny was a really good player as well. Yeah, yeah. He said mm-hmm. he hated going one on one with Lee Wilkie in training in case he put it yeah, past yeah, him. Yeah. And he would. Everybody did. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and he would take him out. The good thing was our midfield. We had Willow Flood, Mark here, Prince Boban, um, 
Fogal Gomez and uh, Dani. So five like smaller players of quick feet, good skill players who pass the ball quite well and move it about quickly. So mm-hmm. it was hard playing us with those uh, players in midfield. Really, mm-hmm. uh, who would? Um... This guy might come up in this as well uh, in terms of players that you come up against in training. But another one who we believe likes to moan, Barry Robson. Well, I've never heard him do anything else. <laughs> um, but again, such a great player to play with. Um, his work ethic, his ability, he would go box to box, had great left foot. Um, he was actually the one taking the corner when we play Rangers away. Um, uh, good in the air, great player. Um, Scores goals as well. Yeah, he did. He did. But you know, when you're playing uh, uh, fullback, your worst thing is having um, two against one all the time. But playing with him, he would always track back for you. So. Mm-hmm. It was a team effort where I could come up and assist him, going around him, giving him space, and he would always come back helping me in the defence as well. So, really, really good player. Yeah. Which of your mm. teammates did you hate facing in training? Nah. We could get any answer here because we're having nah. a fun. <laughs> I didn't hate anyone, did I? No, just if, uh, just that you would if they come onto your side and you thought, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. this could go through my legs. That could be uh, past me. You know who was maybe the, the toughest to play against. My money's on Swanson. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, 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 Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> did did Hoosty and Levine ever take uh, ever join in with the games and training? No, no, no. no. That's probably a good thing because Levine was quite tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in England, Owen Coyle always were training with us, but uh, yeah. the other guys like Levine or Hoosie never play. Is it true that uh, Owen Coyle used to play a game on a on a Friday or something? It was just he used to play shooting practice or something, and and this might be later on in his career. But apparently, he used to do a training session on a Friday, and he would play for like uh, it could be for drinks or it could be for uh, sweets or whatever like that. And it was just so relaxed; you would never know they were playing a big game at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think the day before the game, we always had um, games. The losing team were to bring in cakes for the next day. Uh, day. And uh, then we had a, a shooting practice. And the four, the four last players to score a goal, we had to bring in the drinks for the session before the game. <laughs> so I remember the day, the year we played in the championship, that meant we had 62 days of. Uh, cakes and uh, and drinks in the dressing room. So <laughs> <laughs> it was it was so bad that it was that it became so good for the team because uh, it, it in a way it's so wrong. But when you're doing it all the time, it just becomes something with uh, the atmosphere in the dressing room as well. So I think that was one of the things that made that team a great team and a special team. Do you think yeah, 12 years be. later sports science would allow all that? <laughs> no chance. No chance. <laughs> uh, just, just a couple of final thoughts then, Christian. Uh, how, how did you find living in Dundee? Well, um, I loved it, to be fair. Um, at the first couple of, I think the first six months, I stayed down in, in the Keys mm-hmm. uh, in the new apartments down with the Apex Hotel. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I moved into uh, Lee Wilkes' house in, in um, uh, yeah, yeah between Monifeath and, yeah, yeah Brody Ferry. And the Brody Ferry area, Monifeath area, is very nice. Uh, mm-hmm. I live in a very nice area. Uh, and it was like every time I brought my family or friends over, they just uh, loved it there. So whenever I've been back, I've stayed in the same area down in uh, – I've been on Airbnb and rented apartments and flats down in, in, in the Brody Ferry area because mm-hmm. it's such a great area. Yeah, I've also got to ask who your favourite neighbour was when you lived in Dundee. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hate me for saying that now. Um, do you still keep in touch with any of your ex-teammates? Uh, well, um, the good thing nowadays with social media is that uh, I've got some of them on Facebook, some of them on Instagram, some of them on, on Snapchat. So that's the way you keep in t- contact these days. <laughs> so, uh, but at the same time, coming back to Lee Wilkie's, um the testimony again, you, you have, we could catch up with some of the guys as yeah. well. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that, that's I think things like that when you see because you don't see many testimonials these days. No, but when Sean does, it was brilliant to see some of that. Like seeing Noel yeah. Hunt and Craig Coleman, guys like yourself, all coming back and playing was uh, was really really good. Um, what are you doing with yourself nowadays since you finished um, playing? Yeah, um, when I start stopped playing, I went on to like I went out of football. Uh, well, when I came back from England, I had played another two and a half years for Bramberg in, in Norway. Then I went out of football uh, to start working for like in company who sells like mobile connectivity similar to O2. Mm. Stayed there for four years, went into the power industry, like energy. Uh, stayed for another five years. And this May, I started working for Brandbergen as a general manager here in the club. So I'm back in football now, um, trying to bring, like, we're down in the second league now, so I'm trying to get the club up in, a, in, a, in like, our Premier Division. Mm-hmm. And loving being back in football. Love it. So, uh, yeah. It, it, the thing is that it, it's in your head 24-7, but uh, it's the thing you love. Was it quite nice having having that break away from football? Yeah, it was. And I think it teaches you a lot about like just business in general. You know, I had my education, uh, but this at the same time, you get to know how business works, how they look at uh, football, how everybody else look at football. Being um, Just get to learn how to run a proper business. Uh, um, yeah, and but at the same time, because I wasn't planning going back to football, um, but when this opportunity came up this winter, I was starting to talking to them. I just felt, oh, I really, really want this. Um, and my brother, he he is uh, the assistant manager of Budaglimt in Norway which beat Celtic in the um, Conference League this year. Yeah. I was out, up in Buda watching that game and sitting in the stands, getting all the feelings which football brings out of you. I just, uh, oh, and that was just, okay. If you get the chance again now, get into football and uh, start living the game again. Oh, that's mm-hmm. superb. Have you been watching United from afar now that we're back into Europe after a 10-year break? 
Well, I've not watched United a lot, but I'm always um, looking at the results and see how it's going. I can see Stephen Fletcher is back at the club now, which is quite uh, good. You'll know, you'll Cam- know him, don't ca- you? Yeah, I played with him in Burnley. And is Kevin McDonald still at this season? Or did he leave in the summer? He left, he in, the left summer. in the summer, yeah. yeah okay. So, yeah. Stephen Fletcher, talk to us. What yeah. can we expect? <laughs> well, goals, isn't it? No. Um, when he, he was, I can't remember how old he was when he came down to us, but he came straight from Hibs. He had, he played off one season when I was there. He, um, he was a very good player uh, mm-hmm. and he's had a fantastic career down in England after that as well. So hopefully he can use his experience and uh, his ability to, yeah, get 10, 15 goals for United next season. Yeah, we'll take that. We'll absolutely take that. We've been crying out for somebody who got 10 or 15 goals for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, right, lastly then, Christian, how would you sum up your time at Dundee United? Well, I think I said it all. I think those two years I had at United um, were the best two years of my career. Um, and I've told everyone who asked me about my years in, when I played in the UK that <clears throat> the four years in the UK was was great like football-wise, but when you live in abroad like this, you you learn so much about yourself, you learn so much about life and people because uh, when you're in Norwegian, you're moving out, you always go, well, what, the way we do things in Norway, this is the best way you do it. And after two weeks in, in a different country, you say, well, ah, oh, this is more clever, this is better, this is like this. So I've, I've had, I had two great years um, uh, and looking back, the, the final at Hamden, the semi-final at Tynecastle, the, uh, my debut at, uh, at Ibrox, and um, uh, probably the 3-3 game uh, at the Tannadice uh, against Rangers. Like, massive games for us. Uh, experiences that I will remember for the rest of my life. And the Barcelona game, of course, as well. So, I wouldn't change it for anything. Thank you very much to Christian Calvez, Charlie Miller's mate, for giving us some time the other week and getting speaking about it. To it was actually Sean Dillon that Ronnie was speaking to about this. He was telling us a story that we actually probably could have done with when or before we had actually spoke to him. So heading through to the CIS Cup final on the team bus, uh, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Yeah. I think it was, and well, we'll call it the Mark Kerr game, unfortunately, but that's what we'll call it. And the players all got to pick a song each, and then it got played on the bus. And uh, there was a few songs that had been played, quite dancey numbers. I think Dillo picked what's Story, Morning Glory. And then, uh, lo and behold, Simply the Best would come on. So boys are like, what, what's going on here? What, what, let's pick this shite. And it was uh, Christian Calvinus. Uh, he was completely unaware the the company formerly known as Rangers kind of nicked that song and they think it's their own uh, so he got pelters on the bus that day for that what an absolute dumpling I wish that we had known that story beforehand though because he seemingly didn't back do either he was still saying he was telling Dillo it was no. a good song that's a good song it's uh, a good song yeah, it's a good song but well, I'm happy with my choice <laughs> should have been emptied for the bus that day <laughs> but thank you very much to him anyway he was absolutely first class with us yeah and thanks to his ex-neighbour for setting up as well so uh, before we got on this day you notice anything in the programme the, the day? 
Uh, the player sponsorship page, uh, I headed straight for that and I saw I saw that there was an American that was uh, sponsored by the Dode Fox podcast. Yes, he is. Yes. So last week when he was getting pelters, I thought, oh no. <laughs> but I, I, listen, I know we've discussed it already, but I felt we missed on the day. I felt you missed a link between midfield, forward and everything. I think we missed it the day. Mrs. Energy, hundred percent. So, um, and if you've not worked out, Ian Hearts is who we're sponsoring this year, so that's quite cool. Um, he pulls the same order to be lifted first, but anyway, we're working on it. That's, that's cool. That's cool. We'll try and get him on the podcast. We've we've tried to put that in the contract, but uh, we'll see. Funnily enough, <laughs> I never really. I never come back. We have signature way. on it, so who knows? No, that's that's very true. Yeah, who, who knows? <laughs> we'll see. On this day, in association with the Arab Archive, preserving the history of Dundee United Football Club since 2006, uh, 8th of August is our focus today. Two games, three sign-ins, and nay birthdays again. Uh, our games today, it's a Motherwell double bill. I think we've done this before. Uh, 2015, uh, for our first one, some names you may hear may just give you the fear. Oh, that even rhymed, didn't even mean it. Uh, United arrived for the first away match of the season on the back of a narrow defeat to Aberdeen on the opening day of the season. The new away kit was on show for the first time as manager Jackie McNamara elected to make just two changes. <sighs> the injured Balati made way for Badul up front. And John Rankin replaced uh, was replaced by uh, Scott Fraser, who made his first, uh, his first, I think it was his full debut actually that day. It stayed 0-0 until seven minutes from time. Both sides threw an attack and substitutes. One of these subs, Aidan Connolly, had a fierce drive beaten away by Ripley from a narrow angle. But as United tried to turn the screw, eventually the late pressure paid off as a neat passing move ended up with the ball being fed out to the overlapping Paul Dixon, who smashed a low cross into the Motherwell penalty area. And Lewis Lane could only turn the ball into his own net with Simon Murky, uh, Murray lurking nearby. The young United striker couldn't be uh, couldn't be denied his first goal though. Ripley came out for a stoppage time corner, a Motherwell corner, but United counter through Connolly who coolly slid in. <coughs> Robbie Muirhead to feed the overlapping Simon Murray who turned his, uh, onto his right foot and lashed the ball past Ripley after he eventually made it back to his goal and sealed the three points and finished Motherwell nil. United 2 that, That's when he fell behind the goal celebrating it was it? Simon Murky To 2020 this time behind closed doors mm. and Tony Watt was on the front of the programme as Fir Park hosted United's first Premiership win since May 2016 and ensured a solid start to the season with four points on the board in the first two fixtures. United took to the field with their new and unfamiliar purple away kit, the first ever United kit of this colour signified a partnership with Alzheimer Scotland. 0-0 at half-time, uh, there was more purpose about United's tackling play and they made the breakthrough within the first 10 minutes of the half. From the right, Luke Bolton delivered a low cross in between the goalkeeper and defenders and the unlikely hero at the back post was the ginger James Bond himself, Mark Reynolds, who fired it into the roof of the net from close range. It finished Motherwell nil. The good guys won. Signings. I've got three. First up, a man who transformed United into an established first division side on this day in 1939 Dundee United signed Jerry Kerr played a massive part in this club's history didn't he massive 
What was he like as a player? What was he like to watch? He was good. Been. He was yeah, no, he was he was good. He was pacey. Uh, he was a ball winner, uh, a ball spreader, a goal scorer, and a destroyer. Sounds like he, was, some, he wasn't a bad wasn't a bad goalkeeper as well. That's like something you get with your manscape package. Uh, <laughs> next up, you like this hero of yours, Paul? I know you're a big fan of this man. Signed by Ivan Golak for a hundred eighty thousand pounds. And he was honking. Okay. On this day, 1994, we signed Henrik Jorgensen. I'll agree with you. He was honking. How many games did he actually play for? Three. One? Three. Three. Three games. Mm. Did we win any? Did he keep any clean sheets? Probably not. Nah, he wasn't the best, was he? Mm. He really wasn't. Mm. No, no, he wasn't. Final one. (laughs) Signed by Craig Levine. On a season-long loan from Sunderland. Made a good start at Tanadice, but lost his place following suspension in November. And he was recalled by his club in the January. On this day in 2008, we signed... O'Donovan. Roy O'Donovan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He no, was okay. Was not, he was all right, but it was not... Man, he came in with, this, with quite a big reputation and he was meant to be earning a lot of money as well at Sunderland. Mm. It was meant to be a bit of a, a, a coup that we signed him, but the only thing that I could think of him doing was he scored in the, the game just after Eddie Thompson sadly passed. I'm sure he scored against St Murn that day, yeah. uh, but uh, it's it's no one that, that I, I can't look back on his time at the club overly fondly, if I'm being honest. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is on this day for this. Before we finish up, uh, I have a few comments about this, a couple of messages, and I've been accosted about this as well. That we haven't, we haven't started, we haven't got a new game for the season yet. Now, my reasoning is because we've had the European games. The episodes are actually quite full on, and with a guest and everything. Don't worry, there is a new game coming. Right, and we've got another wee thing as well. Well, we've both got wee things, but we've got another wee thing we want to add into the episodes. But just we're having the European games, two games a week, you know. So, you know, once when we're no longer in Europe, we'll play the game. So, literally, we're probably not going to do it this whole season because we're winning the whole thing. So, and on that, I've decided I'm going to lay it down now because I know they're listening. I know the Ogrens are listening. I know Tony's listening. I know they're all listening. If we get to the group stage, I want a new PA. I want it. People want it. That's the deal. And if I win the whole thing, I'm wanting a gold throne. Just putting it out there. <laughs> uh, you fairness? don't ask much, Rondo. You don't ask much, in fairness. No, you don't. I do you not. The job, no. it's only half done. Paul's going to be watching the game, kicking every bar as it goes, trying not to shite himself at the toilet if he's still unwell. It's going to be frustrating for you on Thursday, but you're going to be giving it your all. You'll be in your top. You'll be wearing a top. Of course you will. That's all. Hey, bombs. It, it will be It will be absolutely fine. But uh, all joking aside, I just hope Abdi is going as an absolute ball. A great time. Stay safe. Gets there in one piece. Gets him in one piece. Uh, near the point. Probably get there in one piece. No bother. Getting him in one piece. Uh, and I just, just keep keep believing, you know. You, you never know if the team will... If, if we'll get past this this mob, but we've certainly given ourselves a hell of a good chance. 
Let's get into them for the very, very first minute on Thursday. We're at Dude Fox Podcast on social media. Grab some merch, dodefoxpodcast.com. Do have a great week. Stay safe. Don't forget to wash your hands and your arsehole. And I'll very much see you in the square in Amsterdam and Alkmaar. <laughs>